KYW Original Podcasts. This is the Flashpoint Podcast. I'm Flashpoint host, Cherry Gregg. We are walking you through the flames. This week, the focus is the number of women being murdered in Philadelphia. It's increasing. And some are sounding the alarm. It was a cop shooting a black man. Everybody wants to scream Black Lives Matter. You know, what about this young mother who was taken away from her children? Domestic violence homicides are ticking up, too. This is a trend over the last couple years. What's behind the data? We dig in. Then eight deaths and more than 500 illnesses have been linked to vaping. A growing lung is affected more by it than a mature lung. What parents need to know. We'll be right back. Flashpoint is sponsored by the Gift of Life Donor Program. Organ donors save lives. Register today at DonorsOne.org. Welcome back to Flashpoint. I'm Cherry Gregg. The focus is the recent rash of murders of women in Philadelphia. 34 have been killed in the city this year, well over a dozen since July 1st. The latest happened this week. A mother murdered in West Philadelphia. Her baby boy, who was alive, found right next to her. The murders have since sparked demonstrations. We need you to stop killing our women. So what is behind this uptick in violence against women? And is it time to sound the alarm? With me in the studio to discuss this flashpoint is Janine Lasitsky. She is executive director of Women Against Abuse. We also have Ike Raw of Unsolved Murders in Philadelphia with Ike Raw. He's an activist who recently spoke out against the uptick in women being murdered. And finally, on the phone, we have Carmen Pagan, founder of Sisters of Murdered Brothers, emerging and revolutionizing. She organized a march this week calling for a state of emergency. Everybody, welcome to Flashpoint. Thank you. Thank you. Good morning. Janine, I want to start with you. At least a dozen murders of women since July 1st. Your reaction to this? It's unacceptable. This is a trend over the last couple years. We've seen a little bit of an uptick in domestic violence homicide. Last year, we saw 27 murders because of DV homicide. Now, that hasn't been that high since like 2010. We were able to reduce that rate. And I know that there's so many factors that impinge on the homicide rate that certainly it's things within our city. It's things within our country, within our, you know, our world. So I know that when you're when you want to address it, it has to be on multiple layer levels. Yeah. And I just want to point out that we did the numbers. We also pulled the numbers and that the number of total female victims in 2016 was 26. And you're saying now we're having 27 uh, domestic violence murders. So it's, it's, that's a, that's a big uptick. And so uh, I want to go to you, Ike. You recently started calling folks out. Um, and why? My knife in Lehigh somewhere where a lady was killed about two weeks ago sitting on the steps. And, you know, when that happened, it just was like, you know, once again, we have guys in the community shooting guns, not caring who's outside. You know, women, children, whoever. You know, here's a young lady just sitting on the steps, minding her business. She was a mother. You know, and I seen somebody post a picture of her, and they was telling her, you know, rest in peace and pray for her kids. And I'm like, I had to just think, like, here's a mother, you know, being taken away from her children. For what? Because she was just sitting on her steps. And we have people in the community going around shooting guns, but nobody wants to say anything. 
But once again, like I say all the time, if it's a cop shooting a black man, everybody wants to scream Black Lives Matter. You know, what about this young mother who was taken away from her children? You know, we have to start saying something about that. Yeah, and I want to bring Carmen in because uh, you held a protest this week, a march uh, for this young woman, I believe her name was Crystal Benitez. But this isn't the only one. You were protesting on a very wide level. You know, we've seen a uh, rise in homicides with women. And that's alarming because back then, women and children were off limits. Now, there's no respect for human life at all. So I felt as though it was important. I was a little disappointed last night as the turnout of women that came out to support because everybody cries when things happen. But they don't want to come out and support you, you know. So it, it only takes one person. But I was really disappointed, as you saw. And so, Janine, I want to jump back to you because there's a lot of factors. And I want you to touch upon some of those factors because each of these situations are very different. But a number of them are related to domestic violence. The public needs to realize that one way to make things change is to vote. And when you're talking about issues that could reduce this, we're talking about gun control. And one of the things, uh, there's the Lautenberg Amendment at the federal level, mm-hmm. which makes it that if you're convicted of a misdemeanor crime, your guns are taken away. But there's loopholes, and Pennsylvania doesn't have a law to address those loopholes. So if you go to a gun show, if you buy a gun online, if you buy a gun from family and friends, you don't have to get the background check. And so if you have a protection from abuse order against you, or a crime related to domestic violence, you can still get a gun. And so we need to be closing these loopholes. And again, I think a powerful way to send a message is if everyone would show up to vote at every election yeah, and start telling these legislators what we want to see. Because of the 12 uh, incidents that I pulled, 10 were done with guns. So, 10. That's crazy. So this is a gun. I mean, this is a gun issue. But with these guns... Um, the culture has shifted, and I think Carmen has mentioned that a little bit. I've been in the streets, people who've been in the streets, we understand, you know, we do things, you know, when harm come back to us, we bought that. When you sign up to be in the streets, you want to pull out your gun, you want to sell drugs. If something comes back to me, if I get shot or killed in the streets, that's on me because I signed up to be in the streets. My mother, my sister, you know, my daughters, they don't sign up to be in the streets. You understand what I mean? So for someone to inflict harm or my sister or my mother because of something I did is not right. So then you have people in the community that are going to call them a snitch or call them a rat because they're going to tell about who killed my mother, who killed my sister, or whatever. And that's not the way it's supposed to go. So you have a lot of people in the streets now who are not educating these young men, not educating the older men who are in the streets just shooting up and killing with no consequences and no repercussions. Somebody saw something, and yet nobody spoke up, Carmen, and you call people out? I do. I call everybody out. You know why? Because my brother was murdered three years ago. And no one spoke up. If I wouldn't have been his voice, his killer wouldn't be serving life right now. And is that justice? No, it's not justice. So all these issues are close to my heart. And this is why I try to fight so hard. It touches me. And you got to call people out because this no this no snitching culture is what's killing us. And you were on the street actually saying that somebody probably knew. They know. They know. Let me tell you, way before it gets to the police department, the first people that know are the people from the block. Y'all know who y'all drug dealers are. You know, I've been there and done that. I sold drugs. I did five years for selling drugs. That's not how I want to live anymore, you know. And this is why I do why I, I do, because my brother was murdered. And all these issues are so close to my heart. And I think that change is possible. But we got to start working together. What is behind this uptick? What, what can we do to kind of, like, target the folks who are causing this type of pain? 
You know, I wish I had the answer. I think there's probably several factors, but it has to be looked at as a broad issue. Some of the Mm -hmm. things we're doing at Women Against Abuse, first, we have a um, program where we get all the um, domestic violence incident reports from the police within just a short time of their occurrence. We're screening those for indicators of high lethality and risk. And we're doing outreach calls to those survivors so mm. that so they don't know about services and how to get safe. So, you know, that's one thing we've implemented. Another thing that we're just about ready to start is called a high-risk multidisciplinary teaming with the district attorney, police, and a whole team of people. So when we identify a victim at high risk because incidents have come to the police, we are going to meet with this multidisciplinary team and figure out how do we create safety and hold the perpetrator accountable and create safety with the survivor. You know, so really a case-by-case situation, which I think will help, but those aren't the only answers. One of the comments that I saw in some of these posts related to recent murders of women was women saying that they're getting guns. That's not going to be the answer um, because what we know is that when a woman is in an abusive relationship. If there's access to a gun, it doesn't have to be the perpetrator's gun, but just access. So it could be a gun in the home. They're five times more likely to be killed. Yeah. Because, mm. you know, so a gun, you can have a gun, but the perpetrator can take it away from you and use it against you. Yeah. And especially part of um, domestic violence is a whole coercive pattern of control. So these people who are perpetrating it know like they are looking at where all your things are, you know, like snooping and they know. So you're not how are you going to hide a gun? Yeah. Uh, and your thoughts on that, Ike, because there's this uh, element of fear. And what are you hearing from folks? To touch on, you know, different angles as far as, you know, some women are being killed. You know, some of the reasons is because you have, you know, young men, you know, young boys, as a, should I say, who are being, you know, told that they're men at 13, 14, because, you know, you're in the streets, you're hustling, you're bringing hundreds of dollars back into your house. Your mom may be a single mother. Your father's not in the house. So your mom is telling you you're the man at 13, at 14. You're the man. You're my son. So you're not going to have respect for women. You know, if you're in the streets doing anything and you have to shoot someone, you're not going to care about shooting a woman or shooting a child. And, you know, a lot of murders happen because of that as well, because, you know, the father's not there. Oftentimes, you know, I think, and I was thinking back yesterday where, you know, someone gets in trouble with child. The first thing we say most of the time is, I'm going to tell your mom. Or I'm going to call your mom. We rarely hear people say, I'm going to call your dad. Or I'm going to tell your dad. Why? Because most of the fathers are not around. So as a young man, you growing up in a household where a woman is trying to tell you what to do and what not to do. You're not listening to her. So by the time you're 18, 19, you get in the streets, you have no respect for women. So you don't mind shooting a woman, blowing the, you know, blowing the head off or whatever. And, you know, that's real. So we have to start talking about that, you know, that part of the situation as well. Yeah. And one of the points that the DA's office did say in their email to me, and I'll read it to you guys. It says um, the spokesperson said this is definitely a topic worth looking into, but without Time to assess each individual case is irresponsible for us to draw conclusions about patterns or trends. But what they know is that intimate partner violence involving guns is a persistent problem. And we also know that the addiction crisis is driving violent crime in certain areas. And so, Carmen, I want you to comment on this addiction crisis. It's ravaging North Philly. It's ravaging uh, Kensington. And a lot of times you're seeing those those deaths of women, hap- those murders of women happening mm-hmm. in those areas as well. This is the biggest open drug air market. So we get people from every state, every city, and they end up here in Kensington. And it's a problem because, honestly, most of the people that are out there selling drugs 
don't have the education. There's a lack of resources. So they turn to the streets, and then I'm, I'm, I'm going to piggyback off Ike Ball. You know, I'm a single mother, and I understood, and I felt that when he said that, because I, I have a young man. He's 19 years old, and I, I have fought to get my son off them corners. I mean, I drive up on the corners like you're not using my son as a pawn, and it's a problem, you know, and it's not that I didn't try, you know, as a single parent, my best to give him or to expose him to, to other, diff, you know, different things. But this is the route that he chose because he was raised in a single in a single home and it's a problem. So back to that, we need more men stepping up. And, you know, I believe that the kids need that. They're looking for that love. So they turn to the streets and they, they think that that's love and that's not love. With the opiate epidemic, this is, not a new, this is not a new issue. This has been going on for years. We talk about the war on drugs. It's not a new issue, and we're still dealing with it, and all we keep doing is putting a Band-Aid on it. Yeah, there's, and, a, you know, there's a lot of trauma happening in, in these communities, this uptick in murders, and no one knows why because every single case is totally different. But most of the cases are men killing women. We have to define, you know, as far as are they domestic murders or are they, you know, because— Let's be honest. You just like Carmen just said. You have some women who are living the street life. You have some yeah, women who are yeah. in the streets. They may know information about their baby father, their boyfriend, their husband. You know that their life may get taken because of something they might say. No street guy goes in and you say, well, I'm, "I'm going to retire. I'm going to marry your daughter. We're going to live happily ever after." That mm-hmm. rarely happens. So, as a father, as a brother, it's our job to stop this now. Anything can happen. They may kill her because they can't get to him. They may kill, they may kill her because they think she knows something. They may think mm. she's dropping off a package. They may think she has money in the vehicle, which she doesn't. But they kill her anyway. And Janine, I want to bring you back in because you have you do have situations. You know your life could be in danger, and it's like you don't even know what to do. And then you could very well end up one of these statistics, one of these women who have had their life taken. Uh, one of the great ways that people can reach out and start to get some support is the 24-7 Philadelphia Domestic Violence Hotline, and that's one 723 3014 That's one point of contact where a person can start to plan for how do I get out, how can I be safe, or if they're not ready to leave, how can I be safe where I am and start planning for my future. You know, if a person needs safe haven, uh, relocation support, we have legal interventions if they need a protection from abuse order. If they need support going through the criminal process, we also have criminal court advocates. And we can just describe to them, you know, what the process is and how we can support them in that. Yeah. Is, are there tips, though, that women can take with them and say, you know what, I know I feel like my life might be in danger or this was a relationship I wanted to be in. I know too much. I, I'm, I'm nervous. Maybe I had to, like, take myself and my kids out of this situation. Go with your intuition. Don't uh, don't downplay that because that's usually what's happening. You know, you can see it and there's no safety there. If you're in an abusive relationship and even if it has not yet gotten physical, if there's other tactics like verbal abuse, uh, sexual abuse, economic abuse, that is the pattern. And especially where there's stalking, those are high indicators of possible lethality and harm. Even if you don't know what, but you have an inkling that this isn't the place to be, call. Carmen, I want to bring you back into the conversation because, I mean, you hear the tips, but I mean, what do you tell women? We have to understand that this is a cultural thing too. I Mm. remember 
you know, my, my mom getting beat, you know, and then as I got older, I got beat. So this is a cultural thing. You know, sometimes we can get out, but we don't want to get out. We don't know how to. And even though we have all these lines and that we can call, it doesn't matter to us because our generation, my mother's generation, everything was keep it quiet, keep it in the house. Don't talk about it. But now these things are starting to be, you know, in a conversation and now it's, it's more open and, and it's all right for women to start talking about these things. But this was unheard of before. So, you know, it's, it's just honestly, it's, it's sad. It's good that we're talking about it now, but we should have been talking about this way before. Yeah. I, you know, one thing I want to say that we, we've recently gotten some good feedback on, we've for several years now, over a decade, have been in middle and high schools doing semester, one or two semester long mm. curricula on healthy relationships, teen dating violence, what are the signs? What are the resources? And we, we have like a pre and post test. So we see that there's changes in people's knowledge and their attitude. Awesome. But we recently we heard somebody, a, a young woman, 20 years old, who was on the radio, I think it was KYW, talking about being in an abusive relationship. But she was able to leave because she realized that it was wrong, even though she had like grown up in a history of violence. And and she knew where to go to get help. And then she said, because she took the Women Against Abuse Safer program in school. So what I do know is that that can work. But yeah. we're, I mean, if we're in eight schools, how many schools are there? We need to scale mm-hmm. it up. We need to do that on a large scale. The problem yeah. with prevention is nobody ever does it on a large scale. So, yeah. of course, it's not going to impact the issue at the, in the way that we want to see it. Yeah, and I want to point out something because Ike posted a video that was a couple years old of a man literally uh, in Philadelphia, uh, in Kensington, beating a woman. And people, other men, were watching 20, 30 minutes and nobody Mm -hmm. stopped it. Nobody intervened. It's like people Mm -hmm. would rather videotape or something than intervene in these Clearly violent situations. People want to go viral. I mean, that's the thing. You, mm-hmm. you have this thing called War Star, you know, where they're famous. They're known for, you know, posting fights, you know, kids fight, you know, somebody fight, you know, doing something violent. So they say, War Star, they take out their phone and, you know, they're posting. Yeah. Hopefully they'll show you a video. Now you're famous. Now everybody's going to your page. And that's what it is. That video is from 2016. But the reason I posted it is to let people know. It's still going. You would think it happened today because it's still going on today. You can walk down. I can walk out of here right now, walk down the street and see a man hitting a woman or a woman hitting a woman. And you'll still see a man recording it because they want to go viral. They want to show other people instead of stopping it. What if this woman kicks this woman in the head and she dies right there? I think and I always said this. Anybody that's recording those fights should be charged. If you post yeah. a fight on social media, you should be charged with a crime. That's whatever, right? Whatever happened to that person if they die, if they physically, you should get the same charge that the person who kicked them or whatever get because you want to record it and post it on social media. That's what should happen. Maybe stuff like this will mm-hmm. stop happening. That's an interesting uh, point of view. <laughs> view because I mean, people do post. When I saw this video, it's very shocking to me, uh, Janine. And I know you you commented on that video, Carmen, uh, about. How outrageous it was um, that, you know, so many men stood by and watched this woman being being uh, abused this way. Mm-hmm. And I think it happened in my area. And I believe it was a Hispanic couple and nobody intervened. And that that is so sad. That was really sad. If I was there, I probably would try to intervene. And I'm going to tell you why some people don't intervene. 
because there's been cases where people intervene and have been killed themselves. Mm-hmm. And I, I get all that. But to see that, I mean, this man was beating this woman down and they were like, all these men out there, you telling me all you men couldn't come in and intervene and help this woman? It's, it's ridiculous. It, it's just ridiculous. Men need to start being real men and stepping up and protecting us. Right. I mean, what happened to what happened to us? I always say what happened to us. I mean, what should you do? I, I you mean, witness this. I, I, I say call the police. Yeah. Uh, because there's no there's not really a way to safely. But you also have to go with what you think in the moment. I mean, one time I walked up on a really bad DV situation with a baby involved. And now I called the police. I also intervened. Wasn't able to stop it. But, you know, I went and tried. I said, let me have the baby, let, you know, because I wanted to get the baby out of harm's way. And the police finally did come, and I stayed and uh, gave my statement. But yeah, it was, mm. yeah. But we have to remember um, the cultural thing, where you live, all, all of that. The cops will probably come faster if you live in, in in another area. But here in North Philly, they don't come as fast. My mother sat in in the window crying for almost a month before the detective came to my house. We knew my brother was there because the body was out there. And the, the streets are talking. It's just sad. It's frustrating to me. It really is. I understand. Like, calling the police is not really the most effective way for to deal with it in certain places. You know, um, although one thing that occurs to me is what if we took smaller steps? Like, when we saw uh, someone treating somebody in an abusive manner verbally. Versus a full-out yeah, yeah, what if, down, what if yeah. we started saying that that's not okay? No one deserves to be abused, you know? But yeah. I mean, could, would that help then to reduce the the serious? And, and I will say this: that yeah. people have said that even with hate crimes, that they start with bad jokes, right? Right. And it escalates. Mm. It never starts with a gun, a beating of a, of a young kid because of their race, or it doesn't start with beating a woman getting beat or what have you. It starts with. Smaller things, much smaller things, and it builds and builds and builds. And so if we can all nip that in the bud at a smaller level, you won't have to worry about what Carmen just said, you having retaliation for uh, stepping in. And so because this is Flashpoint, we do have to wrap this up. I want you guys to give the argument to sound the alarm on this. You know, we, the police didn't want to talk about it. DA didn't want to say much. But is it time that we start paying attention to the this this increase over the past couple of years of women becoming victims of homicide. What is your pitch? It's been time. You know, just like you say, you have, you know, over 25, 27 women, you know, domestically being killed, you know, in a year. Go back to what we always say. Women and children were always off limits in the streets. So my pitch to anyone who's listening, I've been in the streets. I made it out. You know, thank God. When you're in the streets, you sign up for that. Not your sister, not your mom, not your wife, not your cousin. They should not be getting shot or you should not be shooting at any females or any children. So for the DA, the police department, they have children that will never see their parents again. So we have to do something. We have to do something now. Um, We need more men to step up. We need more men to mentor these young men and teach them how to be real men. And, you know, maybe we can start at a small scale, you know, and we'd be out there in them streets every day. So I I do believe we could turn things around, but it's going to take, you know, us to unite. Final word, Janine. I would just challenge the city to pull together the people here on this 
this conversation and elsewhere because the police and the DA aren't going to do it alone. It's going to be all of us. Thank you to Ike Rod. Thank you to Carmen Pagan. And thank you to Janine Lisitsky for coming on Flashpoint and talking about this issue in the news. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Thank you. Next up, eight deaths and 500 plus illnesses, all from vaping. You have a concoction of stuff that is worse than anything. The facts behind the frenzy. We'll be right back. I'm Matt Leon, sports reporter and anchor here at KYW News Radio. Talking to athletes, coaches, people in Philly sports every day, you find out they have incredible stories to tell. So I started a podcast, a weekly conversation with someone you should know more about. It's called One on One with Matt Leon. Subscribe now wherever you listen. Hey guys, listen up. When you're done with the show, would you do me a favor? Please provide a review and rate this podcast. And feel free to provide feedback often. We need reviews to push us to the top. Now back to the show. Thanks, all. This is Flashpoint, where we talk about the issues that get everyone hot and bothered. I'm your host, Cherry Gregg. One thing that gets Philly residents hot under the collar is kids dying from vaping. And parents are panicked by recent headlines. The Centers for Disease Control has confirmed eight deaths and at least 530 vaping-related illnesses. And there's even talk of banning e-cigs from the West Coast to the White House. But is this just frenzy or are the fears grounded in fact? We brought in an expert. Dr. Steve Rosenberg is a psychotherapist and smoking cessation expert. He's here in the KW studio. Dr. Rosenberg, welcome to Flashpoint. Oh, it's my pleasure to be here. So first of all, what could be possibly causing this illness of all these these kids or, or people? Well, there's a lot of things going on. First of all and foremost is you are taking in a superheated gas into your lungs. Mm. Can that be good? The answer to that is absolutely not. We also do not know what is in that gas. And testing has been done at the uh, major universities. In fact, Penn State came out with a study and they showed that there are traces of heavy metal ions that are in the gas. There are traces of formaldehyde, which is embalming fluid. There are traces of all kinds of things like antifreeze because they are made and the antifreeze actually is sweet. And so in place of sugar, they are using antifreeze to make the flavor extract. And let's back it up. For people who don't know how these vape pens work, they take in an oil, some kind of substance, and they heat it up. It's a superheated oil, and it turns into a vapor or a gas. And that superheated gas goes into your lungs when you inhale it. That temperature is very high. Also, it's bringing in all the residue that might be in that cartridge or might be in the vapor itself or it might be in the pen. The pens are made of various heavy metals and those metals and plastics can deteriorate. That deterioration allows it to be dissolved in that vapor. And you have a concoction of stuff that is worse than anything. It can't be good. It actually goes into the lungs, and there are cells in the lungs that have little hairs on them to help us clean out our lungs. They're called ciliated cells, little cilia. And those cilia are attached to what are called uh, little uh, pop cells that are called alveoli. When those alveoli get superheated, 
And those cilia get paralyzed when that vapor goes down. They get paralyzed. They can't clean out the lung. And then you have what's called a popcorn lung. Those little alveoli pop and they can never be regenerated. They can never be replaced. And you have a real severe lung condition. In fact, I saw a a kid that uh, he was on the news a few weeks ago that was 17. He had the lungs of a 71-year-old man. And that was from one year of vaping. O-M-G. So if you people are vaping, this has kind of gone up over the past 10 years, the number of vapors, because part of it is people thought it was safer than smoking cigarettes. So here's the real deal on that. Listen, yes, you can taper down in your nicotine levels using a vape pen and you can stop smoking. That is correct. And you can, you will. However, the rate of failure is higher when the person uses that vape in order to stop, they all go back to smoking. The success rate is no more than 10%. And then the recidivity rate is really very high. Yeah. You go back to smoking. Wow. And so, so, smo- so vaping is not safer than smoking. Oh, number one, it's not safer. And number two is that almost everybody goes back to smoking cigarettes. Yeah, yeah. And so what are some of the symptoms? If you've been vaping, how do you even know if you could possibly, before it's too late or whatever, if you decide, you know what, maybe I should stop. Are there symptoms that you could be, have contracted something? Well, absolutely. First of all, if you're working out and you're a fairly fit individual and and let's say you're walking a distance and, and all of a sudden you can't catch your breath, that means that your breathing capacity is down. You feel like, uh, hey, I just can't do what I used to do. That's a clear sign that something is wrong. you got to stop this. Yeah. And with kids, kids are attracted to vaping because of the flavors that are out there. They think that cotton candy is a great flavor, and they smell like cotton candy. And pretty soon, their lungs are feeling terrible. And so it is a growing lung that is affected more by it than a mature lung. So the kids are growing, their lungs are not mature, and you have this situation where these lungs are getting really terrible. They're getting in such disrepair that maybe they'll need lung transplants in the future. Wow, and that's very scary for a lot of parents. And so the American Vaping Association has pushed back against this this, uh, hysteria that they've seen, they they called to, you know to this the whole vaping illnesses, um, and they said that the problem is illicit street vaping, illicit street well, vapes, and if you know are, you, you, are you, buying all kinds sure, of poisonous stuff sure. and they're putting it in the vape. But pen. here's the study from Penn State that shows that you know vapor exhaled by e-cigarette users contain carcinogens and is a risk to nearby non-users, just like secondhand tobacco smoke. They go on to say that almost 60% of people who use e-cigarettes also currently smoke conventional cigarettes, Mm. according to U.S. Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. Studies have found toxic chemicals such as formaldehyde and antifreeze ingredients in e-cigarettes, which is what I said to you earlier. Some e-cigarettes that claim to be nicotine-free do contain the harmful substance. Side effects include increased heart rate, 
and blood pressure, lung disease, chronic bronchitis, and insulin resistance leading to type 2 diabetes. And so you you hear all so, this though, but 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 doctor and and I'm, you know, I'm being I'm I got to push back a little bit because people sure. have been, been doing vape pens for a decade. Why all of a sudden now, since this year, we're hearing about deaths, we're hearing about what's changed. The change where- is the population of vapors has increased 20 fold. That's why. Mm-hmm. When 10 years ago, not many people were out there vaping. You get it in today and, and you know, they're advertising them all over. You get uh, this one brand that is advertising every single day on every radio and TV station in the newspaper, and they're selling and selling and selling more and more and more. So you have a larger population. It stands to reason you have a bigger population. It's going to explode. Yeah. And that's the reason. And so, but there has been the of the deaths. There have been a number of them that are full grown adults. Um, oh, absolutely, so, sure. So, but you mentioned that kid. There's a difference between young people and older people who vape. Mm-hmm. Is anybody safe? No is one it safer is safer for anybody. No one is safe. Mm-hmm. No one is safe smoking. Yeah. Period. That's it. You can't smoke and live a productive life. Yeah. And so are there older cases that we aren't just aware of? Because there it possibly seems, are. It seems like now all of a sudden, sure. you know, parents all got together. You know, kids are like saying, oh, all parents got together. They just got mad about this. And now all of a sudden it's a big deal when people have been raping for a long time. Well, the thing is with the kids, let's look at this really logistically. With the kids, you have a situation where there has been no restriction of age mm. in buying a vaping device. So kids buy it online. They go to school. They buy it from a friend. They go to wherever. They're they're able to buy it because there is no age restriction. Now they're putting age restrictions on it because they see that the kids who have bought them are now turning to cigarettes and smoking. Yeah, and there is an age restriction on cigarettes. Like there is, correct, cigarettes. correct. Yeah. But you have such a population of kids that never were ever able to get it so easily. It's like all of a sudden everything was lifted and they could go out there and grab as many as they could. Yeah, and I want to talk about this this particular substance. Uh, it was like a form as, as a chemical that um, has been linked to several illnesses in New York. It's called... Vitamin E acetate. Mm-hmm. And could you talk about what that is? They, people have been using it to use marijuana in the vape pens. Well, and they it, don't want to admit it when they go to their pediatrician or their doctor. Yeah, but this yeah. is, this is I understand, has caused some problems. Well, E acetate can be found in regular vape pens also. It is a situation where that, that actually helps them make the vapor. The E acetate makes the vapor, and it's, it's a carcinogen. So that it can be found in just about every vape pen that is out there on the market. Yeah. You can't say it's just from the people who are using marijuana. It is found universally out there. Mm -hmm. And other substances, like I said, formaldehyde, that's an embalming fluid. Yeah. That's ridiculous. Antifreeze, that'll give you really bad 
situations. So what should people do, uh, Dr. Rosenberg? Because a lot of people are, are addicted. I mean, I understand that using um, nicotine, um, tobacco products within these vape pens actually can be more addictive because you're, it's going more directly into your lungs. No, there's another factor you don't realize mm-hmm. that the vaping industry is putting four times the amount of nicotine in their product than there is in a cigarette. So they are immediately addicting the population to the vaping device. So that, listen, nicotine in the realm of addiction is 10 times more addictive than heroin. Wow. So you have a substance that is, quote, legal, and what are you doing with it? You're taking in four times the amount. This one brand who is advertising all over the place, I will not mention that name and give them the notoriety, but they have four times the amount of nicotine in their vaping device than there is in a cigarette. And so you're on, I feel like you're on a mission here to educate people about this. Well, I have been on a mission to educate people to stop smoking for over 38 years. And you just can't smoke. There is no absolute benefit to smoking. If people can tell me what there is as far as a benefit, I smoke three packs of cigarettes a day when I was in my 20s and 30s. And that was the worst thing that I think I ever did to my lungs. So I know how difficult it is to get off of them but I have been teaching people for 38 years how to do it. Yeah. And it's easy. Yeah. Once you make up your mind and you say, hey, if I want to live a longer, healthier, happier, better quality of life, I need to stop doing this. It's killing me. Yeah. And so advice to parents who have kids that they know vape, who are that the devices look like flash drives. They look like. Oh, they're they concealed look, like anything. Oh, my God. Like, you can't. Yeah. They look like toys. Uh, they look like pens. Uh, you can't really tell. Advice to parents. The advice is if uh, you catch them, if you see them doing it, if you find it in their drawer, if you see that they have bought it on uh, a site, a website, talk to them. Tell them what is doing. Tell them that they really shouldn't be smoking. I mean, I had, last night in my office, I had two uh, Philadelphia police officers who came in, and they have a a child, and their husband and wife, and their child uh, doesn't smoke, never smoked, but both parents smoked. And even though they smoked, they said, well, if their kid smoked, they would kill them. (laughs) Oh, the kid never smoked. But yet they smoked. Last night, they made up their minds. They were going to come in and they're going to stop. And they did. Yeah. And so people who may need help, give them your information. Oh, yeah. Um, my website, first of all, has a wealth of information on it. And it's quititnow.com. Q-U-I-T-I-T-N-O-W. Quititnow.com. Do you predict that these vape companies are going to face lawsuits in the future? Well, I, they, you know, something has to happen because... If one person gets sick or dies, it's one too many. Something has to happen. 
the government has to put restrictions. There has to be limitations to what people can do to get these. There has to be age limits. It's got to be something. You know, Penn State. And the president, you got President Donald Trump talking about vaping. Yeah. Well, you know, everybody's talking about it, but you've got to do something now. Yeah. And if a university like Penn State University, a, a credible university, comes out with a study like this and they say, hey, look, it's no good. It's absolutely no good. So why even bother? Yeah. Get rid of it. Yeah. So Dr. Rosenberg, see Rosenberg, quititnow.com. Check it out. Uh, if you need some help letting this vape thing go or letting cigarettes go, uh, look them up. Quititnow.com. Thank you so much, Steve Rosenberg. Dr. Steve Rosenberg for coming Thank on you. Flashpoint to talk about this issue in the news. Next up, it's a festival that's all about writing. It's a major celebration that goes all day long. Mighty Writers and its second annual Mighty Fest. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Flashpoint. I'm Cherry Gregg. Be sure to check out the Flashpoint podcast by downloading the Radio.com app, Apple Podcast app, or other platforms. All you got to do is search Flashpoint KYW. And we here at KYW, we are all about community. And since 2009, one organization has been teaching Philadelphia area kids how to think and write with clarity so that they can achieve success in the classroom and beyond. This month, they're hosting their annual four-day event where participants will hear from special guests and learn how to inspire their communities. Here to tell us more about the Mighty Writers Mighty Fest is Executive Director Tim Whitaker. Tim, welcome back to Flashpoint. Thank you, Terry. I'm happy to be here. So you guys are really doing some special stuff with Mighty Fest. Yeah, we're really excited. We've, we've had a lot of growth. This is our 10th anniversary. We have seven locations, six in Philly, one in Camden, and a lot of kids. We see like 3,000 kids a year. And this is our second annual Mighty Fest Literacy Carnival. We see this as a chance to really honor them. Tell the people about Mighty Fest. It kind of, because you guys work with kids, teaching them how to write. We do. And and that improves almost every aspect of their academic life and their life period. It does. And then you put together this Mighty Fest last year for the first time. And tell me about it and how, how it has grown over the years. Yeah, we really, we really believe in the power of writing, to, that it builds self-esteem. And we see Mighty Fest as a way of uh, attracting more Philly kids to our program and celebrating the kids that are already in the program. So on Saturday, it's, we have our Mighty Fest Carnival, which is at Aviator Park, which is across from the Franklin Institute. It runs 10 to 4. We have 65 different booths. We have authors and writing games and word contests, uh, music and dancing. So it's a major celebration. It goes all day long. And then Saturday night, we have Michael Barbaro. People, yeah. <laughs> who a lot of people know from the podcast The Daily, produced by the New York Times. And he'll be at the Trinity Center, which is at 22nd and Spruce at 7 p.m. He's going to talk about what it takes to put together a podcast in the state of journalism and life at the New York Times. And then Sunday, we have a gospel breakfast at Girard College with Gerard College Gospel Choir mm-hmm. and a talk by Solomon Jones, who's going to talk about the power of writing. It's a jam-packed kind of weekend, and we're really excited about it. And so how has it shifted? Have you seen the interest in Mighty Writers change? Yeah, we you know we've always had a lot of interest. The Mighty Writers 
kids are very loyal. It's like an identity for the kids that belong mm. to Mighty Writers. And our locations are set up like clubhouses. And, uh, and they're really cute. Yeah, yeah. colorful. Yeah. <laughs> and we're sort of jam-packed. We had a really great year and a big summer. And so we're expecting a whole lot of kids at Aviator Park. And we are having an anti-violence kind of project going on there with a lot of politicians that are coming and a lot of our teens. And they're creating signs and there's going to be a protest. So we, <laughs> I just love that. That's so Philly. It's so yeah, Philly. <laughs> yeah. So we have a lot of fun things and a lot of serious things and we mix them all together. But it's all about teaching kids to think clearly and write with clarity because when you think clearly, you make smart decisions and smart decisions lead to success. And, you know, these kids deserve success and we want them to get it. And what's interesting about Mighty Razors is that you also have a club that specifically deals with immigrant children and Spanish speakers and things like that. We do. We have a bilingual location in the Ninth Street Market, and the teachers uh, that we have there are bilingual. They go in and out of Spanish and English. We're also opening up a location in Kennett Square for the mushroom picking community, and that'll be bilingual as well. And, you know, we're looking at other locations, Atlantic City. So, you know, we want to really really spread the power writing as far as we can. Yeah, and Tim, we got to shout you out because you're a journalist Mm -hmm. as well. This is like your second career. It is my second career. I was a a journalist for 30 years. Uh, For the last 14, I was the editor of the Philadelphia Weekly in the city. And, you know, I wrote for the Inquirer a lot and Philadelphia Magazine a lot. And I started writing a lot of stories about the education crisis in the city. And I just felt like it was time to do something about it. And I really like kids, so... Yeah. That's great. And so give me an example of a kid shifting because they came into Mighty Writers as one way and left another way. You know, well, typically many of the kids come in and they have sort of a little grumpy about it. Like, why are they, <laughs> why are they coming to Mighty Writers to learn how to why write? Why are you making me go after here? After a full day of school. Yeah. So, uh, but after they're there a while, they realize it's not at all like school. It's the anti-school school, we call it. So we have a lot of fun and a lot of games and things to get the kids into writing. But we're also serious, too. And they learn about revision. Nobody likes revision. I always hated it. And then they get to read their stories in front of all their colleagues and and friends, and they're excited about that. And now Mighty Fest is part of your yearly work. And so people could just bring their kids out. And just hang out and, and learn about this. Absolutely. Yeah. The carnival is wide open. If people go to our website, they'll see how to sign up for it. You don't have to sign up. We're just trying to get a sense of the number of people that we're going to have there. But uh, there's going to be a lot going on, and they can bounce from one event to the other really easily. And we, we have stuff for toddlers. We have stuff for teens, everything in between. Yeah, so bring your kids. What excites you most about this year? You know, I think it's that we're seeing a dramatic increase in the number of kids that want to come to Mighty Writers. And that's really exciting to me. And it it really motivates me to find ways to grow the program into different neighborhoods. Every week we get a call from somebody at a different neighborhood hoping we can open a new location. And I want to do that. You know, I'm trying to open as many locations as we can. For most of these kids, they're first-generation college. Mm -hmm. So it's important. Yeah, and good writing cannot hurt you. <laughs> no. There's nothing bad about being a good writer. Yeah. Absolutely nothing. Yeah, and just knowing how to write a, an email that has clarity and makes sense to an employer or to a colleague is important. It's an amazing number of people we have, grown-ups, that come in and say, you know, my staff can't write. You know, they have to figure out what they're trying to say in emails. So, you know, there's great value in knowing how to just 
Be clear. Yeah. And so how can people support you and Mighty Writers? Go to MightyWriters.org. It's all there. They can uh, <laughs> donate there. They can see about all the other events we have. Wonderful. So Mighty Fest kicks off Friday, September 27th. That's correct. And continues through that weekend. All the details at MightyWriters.org. That's correct. Thank you so much. Thank Tim Whitaker. That's it for the Flashpoint Podcast. I hope you enjoyed this exclusive content. Follow us on Twitter. Our handle is Flashpoint Show. You can also follow me at Cherry Gregg. If there's an issue that makes you hot under the collar, let us know and we'll walk you through the flames. As former UN Ambassador Samantha Power once said, violence against women isn't cultural, it's criminal. I'm your host, Cherry Gregg. Until next week, thanks for listening. <laughs>